Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter number 10. We're in the middle of this story of the Lord dealing with the rich young ruler. We get his title from all three of the gospel accounts. So let's go back and review that part that we preached already and pick up where we left off and make the rest of the message. We're emphasizing, of course, our study through the Gospel of Mark service and the servant. So the message tonight, either the servant and his money or the servant and his wealth. Maybe you think, well, I don't have any wealth, but I do have some money. So whichever title you prefer. The story begins back in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. This young man was eager to find out his answer to his question. His question, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So the first question or problem was the problem of eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. That's an emphasis of the deity of Christ. You have to believe in the deity of Christ in order to be saved. Thou knowest the commandments. And he lists about six of them. They are the social commandments, not the ones, the first ones have to do with God. This has to do with our relationship to others. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Well, we know from the scriptures that we're all violators of the commandments. So, in a way, this young man's statement, I've kept all these, observed all these from my youth, was not correct, because he would be a sinner like the rest of us. Then, now he was no doubt what we would refer to as a good person. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one, because we're all sinners. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possession. Now his problem was, not having the great possession, but having a love for the great possession, so much so that he did not want to depart with the possession. What Jesus was asking him to do was not to give his earnings to the poor in order to be saved. The liberals interpret the scripture that way. What Jesus was asking him to do was give up what he had to follow Jesus. 
and he wasn't willing to do that. He loved his riches. He had great possessions, it says. And he was grieved as sad at, at the saying, and he went away grieved in his heart because he wasn't willing to give up all that he had to follow Christ. So he went away without Christ. He went away without eternal life. Now, that was his first problem. Now, I don't know whether Jesus stood there and watched him depart. One of the commentaries I was reading said that he that Jesus did that, and I couldn't find that in the text, either in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, that Jesus stood there. But we can imagine he may have done that. Here was a man who had lots of potential. He was young, he was rich, he was eager to follow the Lord, has enthusiasm because he came running. So possibly the Lord did stand there and watch him depart for a while. And uh, the Lord himself, perhaps, being grieved over this man's unwillingness to follow the Lord. But Jesus used that to teach his disciples, particularly, a lesson about wealth. That's what we want to look at tonight, verses 23 and following. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly, that means difficult, shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Jesus is teaching a lesson on wealth. Of course, he's taking off from this earlier story about the young man's lack of eternal life. And so the question, the disciples did ask, who then can be saved? I want to ask a question to start with as an introduction. Who are the rich? Jesus says that it is easier for the rich man, harder rather, to enter into the kingdom of God than it is for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. Those that trust in riches. And, uh, you know, we have the tendency to say, well, that's not me. I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. So who are the wealthy? Well, from the text and from other things, I think we can get some uh, other text. We can get some ideas. What Jesus was asking this man to do was to forsake what he loved. So the rich man can be defined as those who are not willing to forsake all to follow Christ doesn't really have to do with how much money you have or how much wealth you have. The principles that Jesus is teaching can apply to all who are not willing to forsake. In fact, Jesus asks us to forsake all, doesn't he? That's pretty tough language, isn't it? He told the rich man, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew 19.21, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, 
and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And in and that same chapter, as Jesus is teaching this lesson, as we're reading it in Mark, he explains it this way in Matthew 19.29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that you don't forsake things in order to be saved, right? That's not the point of salvation. The point of salvation is whosoever believeth in the Lord. It's always in, always the criterion for salvation is always belief. But, Jesus is saying if you're not willing to forsake the things that would keep you from Jesus, you're not going to be saved. So, a rich man, a wealthy man, in the world's eyes, would be, and it, for purposes of preaching tonight, would be anyone not willing to forsake all to follow Jesus. Also, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 21, you're familiar with the verse, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now our text does not say that this rich man treasured these things. It says he had great possessions. But Jesus did say in verse number 21 of our text in Mark 10, if you go your way and you sell what you have and you give to the poor, he said, thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Where was this man's treasure? On earth. So who's the wealthy man? Who's the rich man? The man who treasures things to himself. That's what riches are. Treasures things to himself. We're bringing it down to our level, aren't we? Oh, well, the wealthy man, rich man, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have great riches. We don't have any problems with that. But if we define riches or wealth like this, not willing to forsake all to follow Christ, treasuring things to yourself. And then Jesus also taught that we ought to give, well, it's actually more the Apostle Paul teaching this, we ought to give toward others. That's what uh, Jesus is asking this man to do, sell what he has and give to the poor. Let's take a look at some of these passages. 1 Corinthians 10.33. 1 Corinthians 10.33. Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10.33. Even as I please all men in all things, this is Paul's testimony, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. The rich man, the wealthy man, seeks his own profit. So let's define the rich man as one who is not willing to profit others. Not willing to profit others. And then look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. We have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one more text with the writings of Paul, Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Why? That he may have to give to him that needeth. That's why we labor. That he may have to give to him 
that's needed. So I'm defining the rich man in these three ways. One who's not willing to forsake all to follow Christ. One who is treasuring things, money, whatever, to himself. And one who is not willing to profit others. That's what the rich man does. Now what I want to do in this message tonight is give you three or four, I guess we'll call them four, problem areas. And then as we look at those problem areas, you, you know, if you want to outline that, that would be Roman numeral 1, 2, and 3, and 4. And then I'll give you some dangers within each of those categories. So, first of all, there is the material problem. The material problem. From our text, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 24, well, verse 23 says, Jesus says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? The rich man tends to trust in his riches. That's the first problem, the problem material problem. The rich man tends to trust in his riches. Now, one of the reasons why I gave you those definitions is because we say, oh yeah, the fellow who has the money, he can, he can rest in that. Well, yes, but those who do not have money, but who have the attitude of a rich man, not willing to be forsake all to follow Christ, treasuring up things to themselves, not willing to profit others, that's the attitude of the rich man, he also tends to trust in riches. He may not have the riches, but he has the tendency to trust in those riches. The money and the things that money purchases. Now, what are some of those dangers? We'll call them material dangers. So these would be sub-points under the first problem area, the material area. Rich men tend to trust in riches. The first danger under that is that wealth attaches us to the world. Wealth attaches us to the world. A man tr- tends to trust in the world and his riches when he has it, or if he's trusting in it when he doesn't have it. Either way, you don't have to be rich to be, uh, uh, you know, have this danger. Because it the things that money can do and the things that money can buy help to make him comfortable. When you look at the difference between a what we would classify as a comfortable home and one without. We call them amenities. If you go on a trip, you're looking for amenities. What do we classify? What do we think is comfortable? Wealth makes us feel comfortable. We can buy things if we're not comfortable. We can please our taste. In fact, if we say, well, you know, okay, I have a table, but I don't like that table, and so I'm going to, you know, either sell it or get rid of that table and go buy another one. It can stir our ego. We can have big houses or big this or that or possess something or another, and it, oh, I don't know if you're like me, we fellas have the tendency to like our toys. And we get a new toy, we get all excited about it, I don't know what you girls get excited about, but uh, 
at uh, money and the things it can buy tends to stir our ego. It uh, can also expand our experiences. Those things may not necessarily be bad in themselves, but there's attachment placed on those things of the world and the things of the world. They have the tendency to challenge our mental pursuits and stimulate our flesh, stretch our self-imagination, and some of those things can end up attaching us to the world. That's one of the dangers of wealth. The wealth attaches us to the world. Wealth also brings position, power, and uh, recognition. Of course, it feeds that ego. It boosts that ego if you have money. In fact, we have the tendency to look at people with money as heroes. You know, the lives of the rich and famous. You write books and watch TV programs and whatnot about that. So it brings position and power and recognition. We don't know much about this man. Comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know he's young, we know he's rich, and we know he's some kind of a ruler. Perhaps his money allowed him to have that position as a ruler. We know that most of the time in our world, to run for politics, you have to have money. I don't want to run for any position anyway, but I don't want to run for any position anyway, but I wouldn't have any money to run for any position and win. You have to have money to win. So possibly his wealth bought him the position that he had as a ruler. We don't know that for sure, of course, but wealth has that tendency. That's a danger, a material danger. And when we get position and power and recognition, then because we have a human nature, a sinful human nature, we tend to use that power and that uh, recognition, that position, not to serve and please God, but to serve ourselves. Like Ken Collier said, there's only two things on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Wealth, also another danger, wealth exalts self. The rich man, believe it or not, the rich man tends to hoard, to be selfish with most of his money. This man had great possessions. He could have sold half of what he had and given to the poor. But he didn't want to do anything. He hoarded that for himself. That's what wealth tends to do. So we put our trust in the riches. I have to have those things in case something happens. Again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with all of that in itself. But we need to watch out for these dangers, material dangers of wealth. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 9 and following. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then jump ahead to verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. But, the idea is, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So, rich men tend to trust 
in their riches and there are material dangers there. Wealth attaches them to the world. Wealth brings them position, power, and recognition. Wealth tends to exalt self. Let's move to another arena here. That'd be the spiritual arena. Back in our text, Mark chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 23, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Verse 24, he says, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. All of those references to the kingdom of God tell us that we're dealing with a spiritual matter. Here's the problem. It is difficult to the point of impossibility for a rich man to come to Christ because he trusts in his riches. Okay, get the context. Now, let's look at spiritual dangers with the riches. Spiritual danger number one. Riches and worldliness choke the word of God. Mark 4.19 The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. It's in the parable of the soil. This would be the thorny ground soil that chokes out the truth. Riches and worldliness choke the word of God. Number two, another spiritual danger, riches give men a sense of false security. We already talked about trusting in those riches. Luke 12, 19-20. The rich man that had the barn, or had the full grain, a bumper crop, and decided to tear down the old barns and build the new ones, that's where this context is. He said, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Riches give men a sense of false security. Jesus talked about trusting in those riches. Don't you do it? I think we all do it. We rest in those riches. I feel more comfortable when I have money in the bank and the bank bills are paid than I do when I don't know if I have enough money this week or this month. A false, where's my security? In the Lord or in my money? So I think we all tend to do this. And I'm not rich by any means. But riches give men a sense of false security. Riches bring a flood of temptation and snares upon the person. We already read 1 Timothy 6, 9. But they that shall be rich fall into temptation and a snare, if you have money, you tend to buy things. That's why I try not to carry money in my pocket. If it's in my pocket, it's going to get spent on things I don't necessarily need. So I keep it in the bank or give it to my wife. She's more disciplined on that. Into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. First Timothy 6.9 Number four, spiritual danger number four, riches cause men to be high-minded. Okay, that means conceited or proud or arrogant, haughty. First Timothy 6.17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Okay, we tend to 
trusts in our riches. And then Proverbs 18.11 also says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and a high, tower, high wall is his own conceit. Spiritual danger number five. Riches tend to make a man forget God when the nation of Israel was going into the promised land. And Moses gave them warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. When thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. And he goes on. So, having things that money can buy tends to cause us to forget God. Spiritual danger number six. Riches strengthen a man in his wickedness. We've seen that already with uh, 1 Timothy 6, 9, the temptations and snares. But Psalm 52, 7 says, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. So riches tend to strengthen a man in his wickedness. Now we have another problem area that's not directly in our text. I'll call it the philosophical area. We talked about the material problem, the spiritual problem, now the philosophical area. Rich men are set on a pedestal by the world. We do it. As Christians, we do it. We look at rich people and we think, wow. Or we look at us wanting to be rich and wow. It was true in Jewish culture back in Bible days, but true in our culture today. The measure of a man's spiritual standing with the Lord was measured by his wealth. We have it today. People will say of big churches, oh, well, they must be doing something right because look how the Lord is blessing. I've been trying to teach you that bigness does not necessarily mean you are blessed of God. The same is true of riches. If a person is rich, has well, does not mean that that's because of the blessing of the Lord. It might be because that person is a hard worker and he's gone after legitimately or illegitimately that money. God lets people do that, you know. Get rich when they don't follow God. So, here's the philosophical dangers. The idea that prosperity, wealth, comfort, having things, prosperity is God's blessing. Another philosophical danger, the belief that a person receives and has because God is blessing him. We have things, we receive things because God Oh, you look at somebody who gives a testimony of how the Lord provided for their... Oh, God must really love them. They were that philosophical danger. God is really blessing them. Doesn't God want to bless all his children? Another philosophical danger, and that is that prosperity is the reward of righteousness and obedience. Oh, well, we must be doing something right. There are hundreds of people who have things but are not doing what is right. Another philosophical danger, belief that God blesses a person with the things of this earth if they are righteous and obedient. Now let me give you, those are philosophical dangers. Let me give you three philosophical truths 
God is concerned with spiritual blessing, not necessarily material blessing. Are you blessed of God? You may not be wealthy, but you're blessed of God. What did Paul say in the Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3? God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. A philosophical truth number two. Well, it's seldom a good thing. As Jesus teaches this passage, wealth is fraught with dangers that make it extremely difficult for the rich to enter heaven. That cannot be a good thing. Philosophical truth number three, wealth is secured by man himself, by his own energy and effort. Now, this, of course, tends to promote the dangers a world without God. This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.